You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Mike Chappell. And I just want to let you know that today, this is going to be a virtual support group. We are here for you. You can let it out, Colts fans. This is a safe place. It's been a tough 24 hours for the Horseshoe faithful. Today, we're going to recap the Colts' overtime loss to the Ravens. We'll discuss some takeaways from this game, and there are plenty. We'll also take a look around the rest of the AFC South as uh, the Colts race for division uh, lead, championship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, That race gets harder and harder to win as the losses pile up, but they're not out of it yet. There's still plenty of season to go. Um, Before we jump into the news here, Mike, I want to check in with you. How are you doing after a game like that? A little tired. Uh, It's funny, we were talking before we went on the air, back in the Manning years, they'd have six or seven of these primetime games, and working at the newspaper with deadlines, you'd get down around one o'clock and get to the hotel at two o'clock and you get an airline at six o'clock. So you sometimes you spent the time in between at IHOP having a long breakfast. So, uh, but it, it's, it's kind of cool to have a game like that. It's just too bad. They couldn't close the deal because those are games that can define a season or sink a season. Yeah, most certainly. And we will, Get into the recap here momentarily, but first we have some news. A humongous congratulations to Dave Griffiths and his wife on their new baby boy, Jonathan Charles Griffiths. Uh, Congratulations to both. That is awesome. I cannot wait to be talking about Jonathan's combine numbers in a few years here on the podcast. Um, But Dave will be out as expected this Thursday as he spends time with his new son and his wife, his entire family there. But he did tell me he'll be back next week, so already back in the office next week, as long as everything goes uh, according to plan, and we'll be able to congratulate Dave in person next Thursday. But let's go ahead and get into this game here. Monday night showdown, the 1-3 Colts facing the 3-1 Baltimore Ravens. And the Colts' defense really got off to a good start in this one. They forced a three and out on Baltimore's first possession. Then on the Colts' first possession, a shaky start turns out to be a wonderful start because there's a false start penalty on Eric Fisher on the first play. Uh, Carson Wentz incomplete on first and 15. Then Jonathan Taylor drops a pass on second and 15. All of a sudden, it's third and long. They just dump a screen pass off to Taylor but he and his 4-3 speed take it 76 yards to the house. Jonathan Taylor just showing how much of a game changer he can be in that one play. It goes from a likely three and out to a Colts 7-0 lead. Mike, talk about just Jonathan Taylor's impact on this game and what he could mean to this Colts offense if he gives them more of that. Yeah, on that play, what was really interesting to watch was uh, Zach Pascal and Ashton Doolin. Uh, having those big blocks on the outside to kind of spring him. And w- once he split the safeties, he, he, he no one's catching him. That's kind of big play potential we, we've seen since like midseason last year to now. And that's why I've always said, you know, it, it, it's so hard to try to mix three running backs in there, which they did a good job of last night. Marlon Mack looked good. But to, to, you need Jonathan Taylor to touch the ball 
15 or 20, 25 times because that's what great players do. They break these. So moving forward, again, I'm encouraged by what he did. I'd like to see him get a little more touches in the run game, but uh, it, it's just it, it just cements the fact that, that he is their playmaker on offense. So get the ball in his hands. Get the ball in his hands. And um, the Colts' defense, after the touchdown, would force another three and out. Colts' offense back on the field, and they're moving. They get into Baltimore territory. Um, they get down to a second and five at Baltimore's 14. But then the rookie, Adafi Owe, gets off to a terrific jump off the line. The scrimmage goes that's, right okay, past. That, 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 that's what we'll call it, a great jump. Okay, we'll do that. A great jump. I'm not, I'm not I, so sure he wasn't offside, but we'll go with a great jump. It, it was pretty close. I mean, you yes, posted a video on Twitter. What, are you convinced it was offsides? No, if No, I'm not. It, it, it's, it's so close. I'm going to say he just got off at, at the snap. But Eric Fisher was hardly out of his stance, but it was a great play by the rookie. Yeah, and the rookie would finish the play by getting to Carson Wentz, not only getting the sack, but causing a fumble recovered by Baltimore and yet another Indianapolis possession inside the opponent's red zone that does not end in points this season. The defense would continue to step up and force another punt, giving the ball back to Indianapolis, who would go on a 10-play drive, just 29 yards, though, and they would have to punt after Carson Wentz is sacked on the uh, cornerback blitz on third and nine. Ball right back to the Ravens, but their defense does the job once again. Colts force a punt. Then Ravens force a punt. Then all of a sudden, Ravens with the ball, trying to get some kind of points on the board before the half, and they would march down the field. They would get down to the Indianapolis five-yard line, but the Colts would hold on third and four and force a Justin Tucker field goal, leaving about a minute and a half left for Indianapolis to try and get some points out of this. And they do, but in a very strange fashion, uh, the Colts get down to about Baltimore's 24-yard line after going for it on 4th and 11 to pick up a few more yards to get into field goal range. And Rigoberto Sanchez trots out onto the field. And Naeem Hines is holding the kick here. They attempt the kick. It's no good. Thankfully, Baltimore was offsides on the play, giving the Colts another chance. And this time, Blankenship would come back out, and he would nail the field goal from 37 yards out, giving the Colts a lead at the halftime of 10-3. to uh, this would kind of foreshadow a lot of kicking issues for the Colts. Mike, uh, I heard the team say he he tweaked his hip before the game. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, in his post-game press conference, uh, Hot Rod mentioned that it, he was doing his normal kicks in, in pregame and he just felt a sensation in his kicking leg uh, in his hip and it just was a sharp stabbing pain every time he went through the motion. He said when he... You know, he cocks his leg to kick and follows through. There was a sharp pain. So they knew it was an issue. Uh, and he said that he, he, he determined that about 45 yards was his range. Beyond that, it was kind of like, I can't promise anything. So, and, and as you mentioned, uh, second half of all the things they did right and all the things they did wrong, and there was a lot in both ways. There's three missed kicks. 
an extra point, a block field goal, and the 47-yarder was time expired. They hit any one of them, any any of them, even the, the PAT, and this goes down as a defining moment. So uh, I, I'm not going to put it on Blankenship because injuries happen, but uh, make one of those kicks, and we're, we got a totally different t- uh, tone on uh, m- Tuesday morning. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get more into that in a little bit, but – You know, the Colts started the first half with a big play, and they would start the second half with some big plays, too. First and 10, Colts starting with the ball. Carson Wentz finds Zach Paschal for 31 yards. And on the very next play, probably the highlight so far of Michael Pittman Jr.'s career, a 42-yard touchdown where he goes up and mosses the defender, shrugs him off, and then drags another defender into the end zone. That's the kind of big play ability the Colts have been looking for with Pittman when they drafted him in the second round a couple years ago, really using that six foot four frame and that size on that play. I mean, Pittman Jr. had become a consistent, reliable player for the Colts, but if he can add this element of big play ability to his game as well, look out. I think he's, I think that there was a note that Colts put out. He's, he's one of four players in the league with four straight games with at least six catches. So he, he's being that consistent guy. And then what you want to see, like I said, are the big plays. And we're starting to see that. On that touchdown, what was so impressive is not only did he moss the guy, there, there was an interference penalty on the play. He makes the catch, turns around, and he, and he dragged um, Marlon Humphrey into the end zone with him. So that's what you need. I've always... I've been hesitant to, to say that he can be a number one. I think he's kind of like that. I've always thought that complimentary guy, but he's slowly going to win me over, kind of like T.Y. Hilton did through the years. So uh, very, very encouraging to see Pittman really assert himself like he's starting to do. Yeah, the Colts' young weapons really played well in this one. Uh, on the other side now, Baltimore with the ball. I mentioned they woke up before the half. Or they would stay woke after the half. They drived 88 yards on 13 plays all the way down to the Colts' one. But on first down, Lamar Jackson tries to keep it himself. He's hit by Julian Blackman, fumbles the ball. Darius Leonard picks it up, takes off downfield, realizes he's not going to be able to go all the way, laterals it to the speedster Isaiah Rogers, who turns on the Jets and goes 75 yards from there to the end zone. This play is reviewed, as all scoring plays are, and the referees really took their time with this one, making me more nervous by the minute. You know, usually the longer the officials review a play, that means they're going to overturn something, and they're trying to figure out where to put the ball, where to put the clock, all those details. Thankfully, they upheld the fumble and recovery by the Colts, but they said that Darius Leonard's lateral went forward, making it illegal, meaning that the return for a touchdown does not count, setting the Colts up at the 19-yard line. Mike, this was really a crazy play. Uh, Would have been a great highlight for the Colts. Uh, What's your opinion? Was it a lateral? Was it a forward pass? What was it? Well, that's, that's why it took so long for them to decide there were two elements, and they were both extremely close. I mean, if you look at the fumble, it, it was it, the ball had just started to come out as as Jackson's knee hit the ground, so that that upheld. And again, it's kind, it's kind of like the uh, Oway offsides quick start on the lateral. It's just it's so close. Somebody said it's a law of physics where you've got two guys running fast and somebody laterals it. And I suppose it was a good call. 
I, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to have seen that play stand because it was such a remarkable play. It was obvious that Dar- Darius Leonard knew that with his ankle, he was not going to score a touchdown. And and once Rodgers got it, there was no doubt he was going to score. I mean, he pulled away from Lamar Jackson. Uh, just unfortunate. But, you know, fortunately, they, 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 they responded and scored. But, but I'd still like to have seen that defensive play stand up because it was such a remarkable play. Great play. You know, ankle or not, it's it's a good idea to lateral it to Isaiah Rodgers, probably the fastest player on the team and the team. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to see Rodgers and, and JT in, in a flat 100-meter dash. I, I think that would be pretty cool. We'll have to ask for that next offseason and see if the Colts will give it to us. Uh, it, all in all, it might have worked in the Colts' favor because the Colts got the ball. They allowed their defense to rest. You know, the, the Baltimore just marched all the way down the field on them. Uh, they go on a six-play, 81-yard drive themselves. It ends with Jonathan Taylor finding the end zone for the second time on a four-yard run. Colts now up at this point 22-3 to because Indianapolis would go for a two-point conversion, and it failed. They try and make up for Blankenship's missed PAT after the Michael Pittman Jr. touchdown. I might have forgotten to mention that. I was so excited about Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, But the two-point conversion was failed, so that's two straight touchdowns where they don't get any extra points off of. Baltimore with the ball, and this time they would have finished their drive in the end zone because from 43 yards out, Lamar Jackson finds Marquise Brown for a touchdown, which, you know, Marquise Brown is a good player. Lamar Jackson is a good player. These kind of things happen. But a closer look at the play shows that the Colts were down to their fourth and fifth string cornerbacks on the play. Xavier Rhodes missed the play, and Isaiah Rogers had to take a few snaps off as well, leaving, I'll have to pull it up here because I am not very confident in myself on these names, leaving Bo Pete Keys. Bo Pete Keys and Anthony Chesley as the team's outside cornerbacks on that play. Bo Pete was beat by Marquise Brown. Uh, Needle probably a little more safety help, but regardless, uh, Baltimore, those big brain birds over there, uh, those Ravens took advantage of the mismatch, hitting Brown down the field, and they would go for two as well and fail. So it is a 20 Two to nine ball game. Colts need to respond, and thankfully they do. They go down the field, and Rodrigo Blankenship is able to hit a field goal from 43 yards out. And, you know, depending on the hit, Mike, he either really toughed this one out or had a bad game because he did hit field goals of 37 and 43. But then he had the missed kicks as well, so it's kind of hard to gauge how how much the hip was injuring him. You never really know unless you're that player and you feel it in your body. I guess we'll see uh, next week whether Blankenship's able to play or not. But he was good on that attempt, making it a 25-9 to ball game. Colts still with a pretty comfortable lead. That comfortable lead would become a lot less comfortable after Baltimore goes on a six-play, 78-yard drive in a little under two and a half minutes. Um, I mean, Lamar Jackson just dinking and dunking down the field. 
almost no pass rush from the Colts defense in the second half. The two-point conversion would be successful on this try. So now it is a 25-17 to ball game in the fourth quarter. Colts with the ball now. They're marching down the field. They get into Baltimore territory. And, Mike, I thought the play calling was kind of peculiar once they got into the red zone. First down, ball at Baltimore 17. Taylor with the handoff, minus one yard. Second and 11, they give it to Taylor again, three yards. You're now looking at a third and eight. Uh, You know, even before the play was called, I would like to see them be aggressive and actually try and pick up this first down here so you don't have to rely on your injured kicker. And you can try and just really put this one away. Instead, they run Taylor up the middle, who's driven back for a four-yard loss. Uh, On the next play, the field goal attempt is blocked. Obviously, the Colts you know, weren't anticipating that the field goal would be blocked. Who, who knows if Blankenship would have made it or not. Um, th- that certainly, I'm not going to put that on Blankenship. That was Clayus Campbell getting all six foot seven of himself, six foot eight maybe on a good day in there to block the field goal. But, Mike, I saw you wrote on fox59.com and cbs4indy.com in your story that Frank Wright wishes he could have taken that play call back and actually be a little bit more aggressive on that third down and try and pick that up. What were your thoughts on that play? Yeah, and again, the Blankenship situation really kind of puts you in a bind because he had just kicked, what was it, a 43-yard field goal or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and, he told, and he told Frank and, and Bubba Ventrone that his 45 was, his, was a good range. So in that case, if you trust your kicker, which he just kicked one, then lining up for a 37-yard field goal with, with four and a half minutes to play to give you a, two, a two-score lead, I understand the rationale, and and, and I and I'm not, and I, I guess I'm not going to be too critical about that. Frank Reich said, in hindsight, since it didn't work, he wished he had been more aggressive, and gone for the juggler, and, and taken a shot in the end zone on third and eight from the 15. Uh, and again, that, that's where we have the luxury of hindsight, and we can criticize. For, I tell you, they, they ran I think sixty plays on offense, and that's as as aggressive as we've seen them be this year. That's as aggressive as we've seen and healthy, I think, as we've seen uh, Carson Wentz be. And it, it's again, that's that's where we're allowed armchair quarterbacking and and. I tried to see on the block kick. Mark Lewinsky just got blown up. Not blown up. He just got whiffed. He just whiffed and let Campbell get in there. And it looked like the kick was going to be true. You just you never know when it gets going and whether it's going to tail or or, or sail. Uh, so I I totally understand why they do it. Why they did it. Uh, you know. And then what happens if you try to get aggressive? and there's a sack that knocks you back to a 45-yard attempt or whatever. I don't think Wentz would have put the ball in danger. It would have been more of a of a big loss with a sack or whatever, although you took a four-yard loss on the run. So, But, no, Frank Craig said they got conservative on that play, and of all the plays, that's the one he would love to call again and do something different. Yeah, I just – you know, I, I certainly understand the rationale. Um but it, it, it's more so 
out of character for Frank Wright. I mean, this is Frank Wright who goes for on just about every fourth down he gets, um, doesn't think twice about going for two a lot of the times. And then to get conservative in that situation when your offense is playing so well and Carson Wentz is playing so well, um, it was just a bit peculiar to me. And, and, you know, like I mentioned, the questions about the kicker and it ended up not being on Blankenship. That could have been as perfect as you could have kicked it. And we will never know because Clayus Campbell got his big paw up there and knocked it down. But, you know, I'm not going to put the game on that one call or, or any one play. There were several mistakes made by the Colts. But I just thought that was interesting that that was the time Frank Wright decided to be conservative. Um, of course, the Ravens offense would just keep rolling down the field, beating up the Colts, uh, beating them up from a lack of pass rush, beating them up from a lack of cornerbacks, a lack of healthy cornerbacks, I'll say. And they go down the field and find the end zone with about 39 seconds left. Two-point conversion attempt was good. Mark Andrews absolutely torched them in this game. Uh, but the Colts still found themselves with a chance to win the game. They would go down and get themselves into field goal position at Baltimore's 29, making it a 47-yard field goal. This one is not blocked, but it goes wide left, sails on blanket chip. I knew, you knew right away when he kicked it that one wasn't going in. And we are headed to overtime. Coin toss is everything here. And everything goes to Baltimore. You could see the look on Carson Wentz's face as soon as the Ravens were awarded the first possession in overtime. And the Ravens march down and score their fourth straight touchdown on a pass to Marquise Brown to win the game. Let's go ahead and move on to takeaways from this 31-25 to Indianapolis Colts loss. There's quite a bit of them. First one, this is the first time the Colts have blown a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter since they moved to Indianapolis. The Colts were previously 120-0 in those situations. And Mike, after the game, Darius Leonard called it his worst loss as a pro. It's just, again, you can point to so many things. A player two on offense, they, they had 513 yards. And Carson Wentz throws for 402. He set career highs with 402 yards, 128.5 uh, passer rating, which I'm surprised that's a career high for a quarterback, and 11.5 yards per attempt. So the offense, we can nitpick here there, but the offense did its job. The defense, holy smokes. The last, the last what, one, two, three, four, five, six possessions – Field goal, fumble at the one. I mean, they were going in. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. And eight was it 80 yards, 88, 75, 78, 75, 68. What you want, make a play. I mean, a play. Make a stop somewhere, a pass broken up, whatever. Uh, and they didn't, they couldn't. And, and this is where, and I've already seen it, and I understand it, the criticism on, the lack of depth, and I and I, I totally understand. I, I understand that when you've got Chesley and Rodgers and Bo Pete Keys out there, but at, at some level, there is only so much you can do on having quality depth when you're down to your fifth or sixth corner or whatever, and and then Kahari Willis is is 
banged up. So Sendejo and, and, and uh, I think the last touchdown was Brown against, uh, I think, George Odom, I think. And, and he's primarily been a special teams guy. So, you know, I, I, I guess the criticism is you, you need to have better fifth and sixth corners and fourth and fifth safeties. And, and it's it's understandable. I, I don't know how, how you do that in, in October. And then the kicker. Uh, you don't carry two kickers in a game, and you know just to guard against your your main guy having a hip injury in, in warm up. So, but so much had to go wrong, so much had to go wrong to lose the game. This this was tied for the ninth the ninth biggest uh, blown lead in franchise history, nineteen points. So, uh, as I said early on, we and we we will repeat it again. What should have been and could should have been a defining moment to really lift you and give you momentum. Now they've got to somehow, and it's going to be an issue. You're going to have to recoup in, in, in time for Houston this week, because for all, all of a sudden in my mind, that game's going to be a little, little more difficult to win, not win, but to play. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, Mike, there, there there's not enough cornerbacks to go around. Rocky Sim was already out. Xavier Rhodes got knocked out of the game. T.J. Carey was already out. Uh, I, I think Isaiah Rogers is actually playing some pretty solid football for an undrafted guy just a year ago. Um, but, yeah, when you got people you just picked up off the street, Bo, Key, Bo Pete Keys and Chesley or whatever his name is, I don't mean any disrespect to those guys, but they're clearly just not ready to go against Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. And, you know, instead of a lack of depth, I'm going to, blame the pass rush more than anything. There were so many times Lamar just stood there in the pocket. I get it's hard to tackle Lamar Jackson. They weren't even getting into position to tackle Lamar Jackson a lot of the time. He just sat back there, patted the ball, did whatever you want to. And then on a couple of those last drives, I don't know what you do as a defensive coordinator, but they just played such – they just backed off so far – that all Lamar had to do was sit back there, dump it off to his running back, and there was no one within 8 to 10 yards of him half the time, uh, or just sit back there and wait for Andrews to cross over the middle. They just played such soft defense. And I understand it because you have backups going against speedsters like Marquise Brown, and you don't want to get beat deep. But at the same time, you got to do something to kind of shake them up because they just made it too easy uh, down the stretch there. It, it, it was really difficult. Um Mike, I guess uh, looking at the first half from second half disparities, Colts held Baltimore to only three points at halftime, limited them to 148 total yards, and 80 of those came on their final field goal drive before um, the end of the second quarter. Uh, second, uh, The Colts held the Ravens uh, zero of five on third down in the first half, and then second half all hell broke loose. Lamar Jackson really took advantage. 25 of 32 in the second half alone of this game for 335 yards, four touchdowns, and a pair of two-point conversions um, in the second half in overtime. ESPN's Field Yates tweeted, there have been 4,017 instances in NFL history of a quarterback attempting at least 40 passes in a game. Last night, Jackson completed 86 percent of his 43 passes the highest completion percentage by a quarterback with 40 pass attempts in a game ever ever 
I, ever, I ever, ever's a long time. Yeah. And ever's, NFL's a long, about, ever's a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's like a hundred, a hundred and what, how many years are we at? I know there was right. an anniversary right. just a few years ago, but a hundred and right. something years. Uh, that's absurd. It was just too easy to complete the, passes. The, again, you mentioned it. And again, we're, we're trashing the back end of the defense. I, I thought they should have been more aggressive. Certainly, when you're not stopping him, you're, it was it wasn't a death by a thousand paper cuts because he was he was getting some chunk plays down the middle, but at some point, you know, make him make tough catches. But the pass rush, th- this is what week five, they get two sacks. Uh, Taquan Lewis gets one and a half, and Muhammad gets the other half. They had three other hits on the quarterback on forty some of pass attempts. So it's there, there were times. That he stood back there four, five, six seconds, I'm, and not looking to run, just patting and surveying the field, and you can't ask good secondaries, let alone a patchwork secondary, to cover that long. So as much as we're going to trash the DBs and the safeties, uh, the pass rush, Ben Banigou didn't do much, Kamoko Teray didn't do much, uh, uh, the Force Buckner in the middle didn't get didn't get a lot of pressure. So, uh, and if they don't get this fixed, these quarterbacks, any quarterback, David Mills, whomever, is too good to just stand back there and play seven on seven. So if they don't get this fixed, which I, I don't know how you fix it personnel-wise other than blitz more, which then that opens you up for big plays. But if they don't get the pass rush fixed, this defense cannot operate successfully. Yeah, uh, DeForest Buckner has now been held without a sack for four straight games, he hasn't gotten one since week one against Seattle. Hopefully, Quiddy Pay retur- can return to the lineup soon and add some more pass rush there, although he's uh, as unproven as it gets as a rookie who's played all of, what, two, two and a half games? Correct. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, but it's not looking great for this Colts pass rush that they were really banking on some young players. They decided not to bring back Justin Houston, who – should have had a sack in this game if it wasn't for a horse collar call or Danico Autry. I get the reasoning behind it, salary cap and youth and all that. But when you're a team who thinks you're in position to go on a run and pass rush is one of the most critical aspects of a Super Bowl contender and you don't have it, that certainly sets you back. Uh, another entry, I don't think we've, we've mentioned it, but we haven't talked very much about it. Kari Willis clearly isn't right. Um, he played just a preliminary snap, so they might be a little off, but he played just 19 snaps compared to Sandejo's 47. Uh, that's why you saw Sandejo out there so much, even though Kari did technically suit up in this one. Hopefully he can get healthy because that Colt secondary needs it. Um, lo- looking at Blankenship, I mean, the hip probably contributed to two of his missed kicks. Uh, the third was blocked. We already talked about that, but if... Um, you know, if he has to miss some time, I did look this up before the podcast here. Eddie Pinheiro is available, uh, who the Colts had throughout training camp, was in a really heated battle with Blankenship for that spot. It was really kind of 50-50, Blankenship just kept it because he was the incumbent. Um, Pinheiro was picked up by Washington after the Colts cut him, but they've since let him go. I think they have Dustin Hopkins, who's a pretty solid kicker in Washington. So that's something to keep an eye on as the week goes along. I'm sure we'll probably know by Thursday if Blankenship uh, is ready to kick or not, or if they need to bring someone else in. 
Um, last takeaway I have here, Mike, is the offense was cooking. 513 total yards is the highest for the Colts since week three of 2014. That's kind of hard to believe. You mentioned the career high from Wentz. Uh, on top of that, the two touchdown passes, 25 of 35 uh, were, were his completions to attempts. Jonathan Taylor had himself a day as well. 169 yards and two touchdowns on just 18 touches. Uh, I'm with you, Mike. I would have liked to see him touch the ball more, but he certainly did a lot with the opportunities he was given. Michael Pittman Jr. put up 89 yards on six catches and a highlight touchdown. Uh, I'll say again, that touchdown was his best play as a professional, really making it happen. Uh, fourth straight game with six or more catches for Pittman Jr., he is their wide receiver one, at least until T.Y. comes back. And there's a good chance he'll continue to be their wide receiver one even after that. Uh, I thought Paris Campbell woke up. He had 56 yards on four catches. Could have been more, but Carson Wentz missed him a couple times. You know, we talked about how good Wentz played, but he did sail several passes high in that one. So he's still not, not 100% um, in rhythm, but he played really, really well. And Marlon Mack showing what he can do after his torn Achilles 47 yards on five carries. Um, Jordan Wilkins out in this one. Naeem Hines really not very involved. So Marlon Mack uh, doing work. And either this is may make another team more interested in Mack or maybe the Colts just decide they're going to keep him around because he can give you 50 yards on just five carries in certain games. And that's pretty valuable, especially if, uh, you know, as insurance to Jonathan Taylor. And, Mike, what did you think of the run blocking? Because I thought for a second straight game now, the run blocking has looked pretty good. I think for the third straight game, because remember Taylor had 10 carries, 64 yards in Nashville. So, yeah, yeah considering, considering that you got Quentin Nelson and uh, uh, Braden Smith out and Eric Fisher still working his way back, so I thought it was very good. And that's the big plays. I mean, they're breaking plays in the run game. They just are. So you like that, and – if you remember last year with Jonathan Taylor starting slowly in the run game and then it really started cooking, I think we're seeing that again. And I know you, you got notes here. We'll get to it. This is this is encouraging heading into where they're heading into the, the, the middle of the, of the schedule because there are some winnable games. And we're not I'm not being an apologist here, but they can get themselves back in the division very quickly. Believe it or not, the Colts have started out worse before and still made the playoffs. I believe in 2018, Frank's Frank Reich's first year. first year, yep, they started 1-5. and five. So it's been done just a few years ago with this same coaching staff. So it's not time to toss in the towel yet. Let's look around the AFC South and see how that uh, division race is shaping up. Titans at the top. They rode Derrick Henry to a 37-19 win over the Jaguars. Henry ran for 130 yards in three touchdowns on 29 carries. He is on pace to, for a second straight year, surpass 2,000 rushing yards. And he's also on pace to become the first running back to rush for 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns in three straight seasons. That's pretty incredible. Not only the stats and the talents, but just the durability. I don't know how many other running backs can stay healthy with that many touches, but it does help being as big as Derrick Henry is. Uh, Titans advanced to 3-2. and two. Jaguars remain winless at 0-5. The Texans 
lost to the Patriots despite a strong showing from rookie quarterback Davis Mills. Mills was, uh, he put up 312 passing yards and three touchdowns on 21 of 29 passing. So Mills coming off a nice game. The Colts will have to uh, uh, strengthen that defense for the Texans if they're going to get another win. I mean, the offense can do what they want, but if the defense doesn't get some stops, I know Davis Mills is a uh, little different than Lamar Jackson, but even still, the, the, the Texans passing game is no pushover. I mean, they're a professional passing game. They put up 300 yards. A rookie quarterback put up 300 yards on Bill Belichick's defense. So if the Colts don't get some things fixed, um, it's, it's not a guarantee against Houston. But Houston did fall to 1-4 and four, uh, with a division win over the Jaguars. So technically, they are ahead of the Colts currently in the division standings. Looking ahead, over the next five games, the Colts play Houston, San Francisco, Tennessee, the New York Jets, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, the Titans game will be huge to try and tie that series up win-win or one-to-one uh, this season. The non-Titans teams are combined for 4-16, so some very winnable games over the next few weeks for Indianapolis as they try to play catch-up. On the flip side, division leader Tennessee over the next five games, they play Buffalo, who just whooped the Chiefs. Then they play the Chiefs, who's as long as they have Patrick Mahomes, they always have a shot. Then they play Indianapolis. Then they face the L.A. Rams and New Orleans Saints. Those are That's a difficult stretch of games there for Tennessee. Uh, certainly a chance for the Colts to catch up as they sit two games behind the Titans. Mike, anything to add before I close this out? No, that, again, you, 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 at some point they've got to take care of their own business. But this is, this is a five-game stretch where uh, we're going to learn an awful lot about this team. And again, it, it, it gives them a chance to get things righted like they did in 2018 where they finished, what, 9-1, and one, whatever it was. So, but, but but they've still got issues. Like we said with Davis Mills, any quarterback is good, is very good if you don't pressure him. They've got to get that fixed. But they're getting healthy on offense, I believe. T.Y. may be back this week, maybe two weeks. But very encouraged. But you've got to find a way to finish. And if they can do that this next five weeks, uh, we could have totally a different a tenor uh, on how this season shapes up, but you, you got to win your own games. Got You've got to win. The Colts have to finish. We are finished here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We will be back on Thursday to preview the Colts matchup against the Houston Texans, their first home game in roughly a month. So that'll be good to be back in Indianapolis. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and download, download, download for us. You can follow the Colts Blue Zone for news and notes throughout the week on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow Mike on Twitter at mchapel51. Follow me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe. And have a great day, Colts fans. <laughs>